Let's start with a prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who are always and everywhere present in filling all things, treasure of blessings and giver of life, come and abide in us, cleanse us of all our stain, and save our souls, O good and gracious Lord. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to some fellowship and hopefully some fun tonight as we learn a little bit more about your plan, your desire for us, your deep desire for us, and how we should live for you. We ask all this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit whom he sent. Amen. Before we go any farther, could someone get me a beer? Really, please? Beer? Okay. Thank you. Uh, Sure, that'd be good. All right. Uh, Killings would be good. Or Miller, is there a Miller Lite? If there's Miller Lite, go for that. Otherwise, Killians. Okay, there is Miller Lite. Uh, I'm having a Miller Lite for uh, my brother's father-in-law, uh, Charles Holsher, who passed away on Monday night. That's, I was down in Kansas. I was in Newton, Kansas, uh, 450 miles away uh, at 1130 this morning for a funeral mass. Uh, and, uh, and so thank you for allowing me to come late uh, for this Mass. And turning up the microphone so I don't have to hold that at my chin, or should I still hold it at my chin? Should I still hold that at my chin? Sure. Okay. Uh, and so thank you for uh, waiting for that. And uh, I drove here as fast as I legally could get away with. And, uh, I asked my niece to pray that we would be invisible to highway patrolmen. Uh, my niece has very powerful prayers. Thank you. Thank you. We just set that down. Okay. Uh, take a dollar for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, set that there. Just need to have that. Uh, my niece has very powerful prayers. She's five years old, and uh, November two thousand five, when we had that huge blizzard, uh, I was on the road in Nebraska driving home from Thanksgiving, and I knew there was going to be a storm. And so I said, "Well, Libby, you have to pray that it doesn't snow, so I can get back to the seminary." I don't know why I wanted to go back to school, but uh, I did. And so she did pray, and I got back home, and that was good. So she prayed today that the highway patrolman wouldn't see me. Not that I wouldn't see highway patrolmen, but they wouldn't see me. And it worked out okay. Um, When Chris uh, emailed me and uh, asked me about topics for this, uh, I kind of threw in this topic as kind of a, well, we'll just throw something in there to, you know, uh, make it look like I'm smarter than I am. And because I was just going to talk about this briefly with some college students at uh, Dakota Wesleyan University with some Catholic students there. And uh, it wasn't really a topic where my heart was or my desire was. And so, of course, Chris picked it. Dr. Burwell picked it. And uh, uh, but it's a good Lenten penance for me anyways. Uh, this whole topic really kind of puts me back in the amnesia machine to about nine years ago, probably maybe even nine years ago to this day, for all I know. Uh, I was a uh, chemistry major in my freshman year of college at Southwest State University in Marshall, Minnesota. And uh, you went there? Did you go there? No, but oh. I'm from Andy, and that's ah. family in Marshall. Yeah. And uh, uh, Roly Boly? Is that Camby? No. Roly Boly? That's um, Gant, I think. Gant, oh, that's right. Uh, anyways. Uh, so I. I'm there, and it's, almost, it's a Friday before spring break. I'm excited to go home and visit home because I'm not really wild and crazy. I wasn't going to go anywhere crazy. But uh, I was 
you know, excited to eat mom's cooking, so I went to the cafeteria for one last meal in the cafeteria, at least before the break. Uh, nothing against cafeteria workers. The food was fine, but just gets, it's not home. And uh, so I did that, and I'm sitting there, and I'm eating my fish, Friday and Lent, you know, enjoying my fish, and uh, soggy fried fish. And uh, this gal comes down who I know, who I kind of knew, and she was like, uh, oh, you're eating fish. Obviously. Uh, you Catholic? Why, well, yes, I am. Oh, oh, oh. So, why do you guys eat fish on Fridays? Oh, well, because, blah, 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 you know, it's sign of penance, give some stuff up, meet the celebratory food, you know, what do you have when uh, the boss comes over? You have steak, you know, and so it's kind of, you give up nice things. You shouldn't go out and have lobster, uh, you know, you should try and eat simply. Oh, okay, okay. Well, why do you guys have more books in your Bible? Uh, why do you, are you saved? Uh, what do you guys do with things in the Eucharist? Uh, I don't know. So I didn't know these questions. And uh, so about nine years ago, possibly today, I don't know, it was a Friday in March. So about nine years ago today was when I kind of started to take a further involvement into my faith life because I hate not having answers and uh, very prideful that way. I confess that quite frequently. And uh, so this kind of was a little kickoff, if you will, to me, uh, investigating what God wants for me in my life. So it is a good topic to hit on. Um, quick question. How many of you have ever had someone come up to you and said, brother, have you been saved? Or sister, as the case may be. Anyone? Any sort of questions like that? Okay, so at least some encounter with that. Um, a little off-putting at times, especially your first time, if you don't really know. Uh, what do you mean? I mean, I'm not playing baseball. I uh, assume I'd be safe, you know. I'm a pretty fast runner. I don't know what you're talking about here, safe. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of a notion that for a lot of Catholics is just not in our vocabulary, at least the way that it gets addressed to us, the way that it gets looked at in our culture, and, uh, or in Protestant culture. I know when I was talking with the Dakota Wesleyan kids about it, uh, I kind of beefed up on some stuff in the Bible, you know, and I got all my tabs in here for tonight. I've got uh, green for their questions, red for my rebuttals, blue for background to help explain why I picked the rebuttals, and orange for kind of some ultimate things. But uh, I'm, I'm a nerd. And, you know, they, they were just kind of like, well, no, we just kind of heard about this safe thing. We really don't know, don't know what it means. And so I just... How to put this, how to put this, how to put this. As any good doctor knows, good questions get better answers. And so I want to try and frame this question in your mind so we can try and give you a better answer. As any good teacher knows. Is it, do we have any elementary school teachers here? Or anyone? Uh, yeah. Don't you love? What's with the thing? You know, something like that. The real. I have a dog. What? I have a dog. They always say that. This is in the middle of nowhere. The dog says, what's with the thing? Oh, okay. Got confused by the dog part there. Uh, but, I, you know, we work with the grade schoolers, and uh, so if you don't really know the question, it's hard to get a good answer. So, you know, a Protestant might come up to you and uh, say, are you saved? Oh, if I'm going to have to hold this, I might have to use this podium. Otherwise, I'm never going to get a drink of beer that way either. And as G.K. Chesterton did say, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always cheer and good red wine. At least I've always found it so, Benedicamus Domino. So we'll try that. 
Can you still hear me? No? Can you turn it up anymore? I'm just asking more and more from you, aren't I, Chris? You are. Can I be late? Could you turn that up? Could you get me a beer? Speaking of which... Okay, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. Am I being heard? Reasonably? Like, are you be- am I being heard over potato chips in your mouth? Okay. Uh, they're very loud. So they might come up to you and say, uh, you know, we, wrote, we know in the third chapter of Romans, uh, for we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or they might throw at you, Ephesians Chapter 2, I'm confusing myself. Ephesians chapter chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Why do you Catholics always try to do stuff, to make your own way through faith? Why do you think you always got to go to Sunday Mass? Stay at home if you don't want to go to Sunday Mass. Why do you do all this stuff like going to confession? Why do all that stuff? Okay, you got to confess in your heart and your lips that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you will be saved. You don't have to worry about anything. Okay, because St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that neither fire nor nor sword nor persecution nor danger or flood or principalities or angels or demons will separate us from the love of Christ. So why do you have to do that? Why do you have to do all this stuff? All Jesus said in John chapter 3 is you must be born again from water in the spirit. Once you've done that, you're saved. You're a-okay. Huh? You just got to add all this stuff on you, Catholics. It's all to support those priests who are nothing, who are nothing but a bunch of no-good drunkards. <laughs> it's, it's all sorts of stuff like that. That's all, it's all you're trying to do, okay? You, just, you built up these things. You, you overthrow the tradition of God for the traditions of men. As our Lord says in Matthew chapter... I'm Catholic, so I don't know where it is, but I know it's in Matthew. Um, and so they might say something like that to you. Um, Where's my Galatians verse? For through... Uh... Well, anyways. So, you get the picture. We get the idea. So, what is salvation? Then, what is salvation? Is salvation, then, uh, being saved? What's the point of Jesus Christ? Did Jesus Christ come, come down as man, God among us, Emmanuel, in the incarnation, in flesh, carne asada? Okay, did God come down, live in the flesh... Uh, live among us for 30 years, preach for three more years, calling people to the kingdom of God, and then go to Jerusalem, do something that looks totally ludicrous, become a curse in the eyes of all of his people and all those who thought he was anything good, become a curse in those people's eyes, suffer, probably the most excruciating type of death one could, and then conquer that death and the resurrection by the, po- by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, conquer that death, and then rise in heaven simply so we could say that we could answer an altar call at an FCA wrestling camp our junior year of high school and become saved. You know, what, what type of viewpoint, how, how are we building this? And we have to remember that when Protestants come to this, What's their background? What's their history? You know, whenever anyone comes to you and they're ticked off about something, especially if they're ticked off at the church, 
Okay, you got to find out where the real wound is, where the real hurt is. You know, I had a lady who called me um, the week before, it was uh, the day before All Saints Day, the 31st, the week before the election this year. And uh, it was supposed to be my day off, but I was the only one in the office. And the secretary's like, well, uh, this lady called once, no, she's going to get excommunicated if she votes uh, no and referred last six. I'm like, well, I suppose I'll take this and talk to her. And so I get on the phone, and she's all aggressive and angry about something. I'm like, well, okay, she's probably not really mad at this. She's probably mad about something else. I'm like, well, okay. And so she, she's kind of spewing off. I'm like, okay, well, I want you to remember, you know, I'm not asking for your name. I just want, to remember, I just want you to remember that you were baptized, okay? You became a daughter of God the Father. I'm a son of God the Father in my baptism. I love you. I care for you. I want to know, you know, I, I want the best for you. God wants the best for you. So let's talk about that. Let's be calm and let's talk about this. And so we go a little bit. She get angry again at something else. And, oh, you speak out against video lottery. And my brother has a gas station with a video lottery. And you're trying to drive him out of business. And they're just going to go to the Native American casinos. But, ma'am, I love you. God loves you. I'm praying for you. Okay, I want the best for you. Okay? Okay. okay. Well, you know, we eventually come up and she's got something in her past where a priest said something horribly insensitive and ticked her off. And so that's why she has all this bitterness, all this bile uh, in her heart against uh, the church. So, so how did the Protestants get to where they are? Because my assumption is that we're right. Is that a safe assumption? I think it's a safe assumption that we're right, okay? That we're, we're Catholics. We believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church. We believe in a, a chain that Jesus, that when Jesus came to this earth, okay, in John chapter 17, the great priestly prayer of Jesus, he says, Father, may they, may they be one as we are one, as I am one with you. May my followers be one as I am one with you, Father. Okay, not only does that tell us about the inner life of God, Okay, that Jesus is one with the Father, that Jesus is God, that God is a community of love, the Trinity, the Incarnation, but also tells us about us as a church, that we should be one, and we're not. So someone's right, someone's wrong, probably. Okay, how, how did they get there? Well, they got there by, well, one thing, they got ticked off about some things, and, you know, maybe we were doing some things wrong, you know, we... This, some abuses of indulgences in the 16th century, uh, you know, uh, pardon me, around the time of Martin Luther. Goodbye, Dr. Bergwald. You guys can't hear me in the back, can you? Oh, you can? Okay. Okay, so, um, so they get upset at us, so they get upset at us, they get upset at us, they get upset at us, and... Uh, you know, and, and Martin Luther himself, you know, we know is, was a man who had horrible scruples. Uh, do we know what scruples are? Anyone? To kind of keep on examining and re-examining yourself and your actions and saying that you're doing bad things all the time. And even the good things that you do, they say that you're doing them badly. Uh, so an idea uh, kind of like that, that's, that's scruples to kind of, it's, it's the condemnation that St. Paul says we don't have any of. And... Uh, that we don't have anymore with Jesus Christ. But scruples. So Martin Luther had scruples, okay? He would, he would look at how he was uh, 
celebrating the Mass. He'd say, oh, I'm doing all these things horribly wrong. Jesus, God is ticked off at me. Oh, man, I can't do anything right. Even my confessions, you know, I mean, I confess the same things over and over again. I must not really be contrite, so I must not have been forgiven because you have to have contrition to be forgiven. And oh. So he reads through, and he's reading the Bible, and he has this breakthrough, and he says, well, maybe, maybe it's just our faith. You know, St. Paul talks about that. Maybe it's just that confession of faith. And maybe, you know, we're wrong to say that it's a transformation, that it's a lived-out transformation, that, that real change happens. Maybe we're wrong to say that, and that it's really something else entirely. It's really just that, that God says we're saved, that God says we're saved when we confess with our lips and our hearts that Jesus is the Lord, that he credits that to us. He credits that to us as righteousness, as St. Paul says, and then we don't have to worry about this other stuff. I mean, yeah, we, we should be good because we should be grateful that we've been saved, but then we don't have to worry about whether or not I was really contrite when I had my first confession, and then because I wasn't, every other confession's been bad, and all the mass I've been to have been bad, and oh. So he, he builds that up. He builds that up, and that's, that's the way that in those roots, our Protestant brothers and sisters started to look at a lot of scripture. Okay? And they also, there also came to be a rather anti-Semitic way of looking at scripture. An anti-Semitic, an anti-Jewish way of looking at Paul's writings. Where they'd look at Paul's writings and they would say uh, that when he's speaking out against the law, that the whole idea of the Jewish notion of the Jewish covenants, the Jewish faith, the Old Testament, was that Boy, if we don't do good our whole lives and do these things, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Deuteronomic Law, the Levitical Law, the Law and Numbers, if we don't do these things, you know, we're kicked out. We're out of the kingdom. Okay, we're out of the covenant. We're out of God's family. We're out of Israel. And these Jews are working so hard. You know, and St. Paul talks about works of the law. And so it gets kind of this notion of the Jewish faith that really, in a lot of ways, is is distrusting of Jews, is anti-Semitic, that thinks... Well, anyways. And so he says, this is what St. Paul says. And then from those passages of St. Paul, especially Romans 3, uh, 28, uh, from, from readings of those passages of Scripture then, St. Paul, or not St. Paul, uh, from those readings of St. Paul... Martin Luther then begins to look at his whole understanding of the faith and the whole else of Scripture through that lens. Through that lens. Okay? Uh, For we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay? And he actually changes, uh, uh, puts some changes in there as well in the Scripture to, to make it faith alone. Okay? Well, what happens then? What happens? If we start reading Scripture in that lens, a lot of things in St. Paul will seem very much true, that, hey, maybe Martin Luther has it right. You know, maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe he's right. Maybe we don't have to go to confession. Maybe we don't have to worry about going to Sunday Mass. Maybe I can just stay at home on Sunday morning and maybe have a little bit of prayer time with God because we're saved by, by faith apart from works of the law. You know, um... You know, and so that in chapter 8, you know, uh, when St. Paul talks about uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
Will he not also give up all things? Uh, who shall bring any charges against God elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. How can the church condemn me for not going to Mass on Sunday? Okay, we start to read some of these passages. We start to read them, and maybe we start to wonder, because of that lens of St. Paul, maybe they're right. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 2, you know, on the same... Uh, even we, uh, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified in faith, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law shall no one be justified. Okay, Galatians 2.16. Maybe we start to read that in Paul's vision and we start to wonder. Okay, we start to wonder. But, and, you know, I wondered a bit when I first looked into this in that freshman year of college and I started reading some apologetics things online, some websites, bought a book uh, by Carl Keating, uh, Fundamentals fundamentalism and Catholicism, which I couldn't find for the life of me preparing for this talk. Uh, very good books. But as I started to read scripture, I noticed there's something wrong. There's something wrong with trying to explain Paul in that way. There's something wrong with that vision of the scripture. There's something wrong with that vision of life that Martin Luther, that the reformers, that our Protestant brothers and sisters have, that salvation is simply a matter of confessing the Lord Jesus and lips and the heart. That there's something more to that. You know, one of the verses that they quote to us, if we just want to start with that, would be is uh, back in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? That's uh, verses 8 and 9, but we immediately go a little longer. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, we start to read St. Paul. We start to wonder uh, about some of that. We read uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, oh, we'll skip that one for a little later. We'll build to that one. We read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the end of his great kind of proof about his status as an apostle because of his relationship to the resurrection of Jesus. That the importance of the resurrection, this is really the heart of 2 Corinthians uh, from uh, 4 verse 7 uh, through uh, 5 verse 10. Uh, and the very last verse is the culmination of this, of, about whether we've seen the resurrection yet or whether we're still alive and waiting to die and go towards the resurrection. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to please him. Okay, he's talking about real Christians here. To please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. If we want to stick with St. Paul, if we want to stick with St. Paul, we can go to Philippians. Okay, to the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Okay, this is right after the great hymn about Jesus, about Jesus' humility. Uh, uh, verses 5 of chapter 2. Uh, and for those who pray Liturgy of the Hours, we pray this every Sunday night about Jesus' giving up uh, his exalted status with God uh, to come down and suffer and die. But his conclusion after that hymn is, Therefore, my beloved, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, 
not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay? Chapter 3. Okay. Uh, He's talking about the reward of Jesus Christ. And he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In St. Paul himself, We have some confliction with that notion, with that lens of reading of Scripture. And what we see is that St. Paul views things, and what we'll see is a very Catholic way. Okay, a way that says that I look at the world, okay, I look at myself in the world, and I look that that God has in some way claimed me, and I have responded to God. Because he's writing all this to Christians, to people who already believe in Jesus Christ. He's not writing his letter of the Philippians to people in Philippi who are maybe thinking about becoming Christians. He's not writing his letter to people in Ephesus who are thinking about becoming Christians or Corinth. He's writing to the Christian communities, to the churches, to those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to those who believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Okay? And so he's saying to them, Your life has to be one of lived cooperation with God, of your action with God, of your walking along the path with God. Not simply a matter, okay, of doing something once and then calling it good. If St. Paul says that he has not already received the reward of, of Jesus Christ and that he's pressing on, that he's pushing, towards that goal. St. Paul says that. Boy, howdy, I better be saying the same thing. You know? I better be pushing on. St. Paul saw the risen Lord. He heard his voice. Man, I haven't had that. I better push on. I haven't been blessed and chosen in that same way. I better all the more so be living that Christian life. If we go out of St. Paul, I mean, it gets more and more familiar to us, more and more strong. Okay? Uh, The letter of St. James, especially the second chapter, is ripe with this. And by the way, uh, Martin Luther wanted to get rid of the uh, epistle of St. James. He called it the epistle of straw, actually. He said it wasn't worth being in the Bible. And so in some versions of Martin Luther's Bible, he would cut it out. Kind of funny when some of Martin Luther's heirs accuse us of adding things to the Bible. But anyway. James chapter 2. Okay. Uh, you, you can't help but tripping over uh, James kind of speaking against this notion. Okay. Uh, what does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has not works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is ill-clad and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So by faith itself, if it has no works, is dead. But some of you will say, 
You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Okay? Even demons believe and shudder. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. Even demons believe. The devil believes in God. Okay? He's rebelled against him. But the devil is a fallen angel. You know, when we look at angels, as St. Thomas will say, angels have knowledge of God. Okay, knowledge of God is not the same as what Jesus desires for our hearts, what Jesus desires of Christians. Okay, throughout the Gospel of Mark, especially, who are the ones to call Jesus the Son of God? The demons inside people that he's casting out. They call him by name, they say, You are the Son of God. And they tremble, and they're like, don't do anything to us. And he says, be quiet. Okay, the Messianic secret. That's another issue altogether. But, uh, and a beautiful one. That works out well. Okay, but so demons know. But that's not the same as salvation. We can't say that they're saved. I hope we don't say that that's what salvation is. I'm hoping my salvation is a little more than that. Okay. Uh, also in chapter 2, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay. And finally, so my favorite section on our salvation is Matthew chapter 25. Uh, it's my favorite section because this is one of the verses that really motivated Mother Teresa, the other one being uh, John chapter 20. But one of the things that really just moved her desire for, for how she's supposed to live, and that's uh, verses 31 to the end of chapter 25, the final judgment in Matthew, uh, where we, uh, we hear about the gathering of all the nations. And he collects them and he sets the sheep on the right and sheep on the right and the goats on the left. You know, and what's the difference between the sheep and the goats? Okay, the sheep are the ones who have, who have fed Jesus, have given Jesus to drink. Thank you for the beer, Travis. Uh, they're the ones who have, have sheltered him, have clothed him, okay, visited him in prison. Okay, that's why I'm only going to have one beer, so Travis doesn't have to do that either. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay, and, and those who aren't are the ones who didn't do that. Whoa. Whoa. I, was, I lived in Denver for four years studying at the seminary. How many times have I driven by the homeless on the street there? You know? You can probably explain it, you know, but, but explain it away and say, well, you know, you don't know whether they're going to use it for drugs and stuff like that. And so I support a homeless shelter and something like that to try and feed them and clothe them. And that's good. But at the same time, every once in a while, I'm just like, whoa. You know, people come to the door at parishes. You know, and we try not to give them a lot at parishes. You know, we try to, uh, so we don't start beating on a path because we have other ways that we cooperate and they can kind of check and make sure that people that need help are really getting help. But at the same time, you know, what if that's Jesus? What if they're really not just looking for a little extra money to buy some more pseudoephedrin to make some more meth? Maybe they... Maybe their brother really did fall down a well and is trapped there, and lastly the dog has told them they need to go rescue them, but they don't have any gas, or whatever the story was. Uh, maybe that's true. 
So, so, so what is it that Jesus desires of us? What is it that Jesus desires of us? You know, Martin Luther uses this image, uh, very famous image, of that the saved Christian is like a pile of manure covered in snow. One more time. A pile of manure covered in snow. All right. The Catholic vision of salvation is that we are transformed from glory into glory, as St. Paul will say. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has even dawned upon the hearts of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Okay? That Jesus is our pattern. St. Paul will say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, his great chapter on the resurrection. Okay, his great hymn on the resurrection. That Jesus is our pattern. Jesus is, is the model which we will all be conformed to in the resurrection. Okay. The saints dressed in white. Okay, real, that they have washed their clothes in the blood of the Lamb, it says in the book of Revelation, the martyrs, who, who have washed themselves clean in the blood of the Lamb. Real cleanliness, real holiness. Okay? That God doesn't desire just to simply put a whitewash on us. Okay? Maybe you've got a car that's rusted out. Okay? It's South Dakota. Most of us have cars that are rusted out. Okay? To simply maybe just paint over that rust. No. God wants to... Not, and, and God's not just going to put on some Bondo. He's going to put on whole new fenders, real metal fenders that you can kick, you know, and they make a metal sound, you know? It's not... Real transformation. Real holiness. And that's why we're attracted to examples of real holiness. Okay, Mother Teresa. Okay, Pope John Paul II. We're attracted to people who live those lives. Maybe some, maybe some holy old lady in your parish. Okay? We're attracted to lives like that because there's something... Because there is something of God within them. And all this is a very Jewish, very Old Testament notion. Because what's wrong with the world in the Old Testament? Okay, God is a good God. God created the world. God loves the world. He said it's good. In fact, it's very good. Created to be lived in. Okay, what happened? We fell. We stumbled. Something went wrong. That's sin. And now we're at war in the world. We're at war with God, we're at war with ourselves, we're at war with each other, and we're at war with the world. No hurricanes if there's no sin. No cancer if there's no sin. No war if there's no sin. No death if there's no sin. No conflict over what's the right thing to do if there's no sin. Okay? No wondering where God is if there's no sin. No confusion of where God is if there's no sin. Okay, that was what we were, that's what we were created for, but that's what we lost. And so God calls Abraham. Genesis 15, he calls him to be a light for the nations. He, call, he says he will make for him a great nation. We read about this last Sunday. It was our first reading at Mass. Okay, but also that he was to be, that his nation, that his offspring is to be a light to the nations. We see that in the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, We see that in the call that the Davidic kingdom was supposed to have. 
Okay? But we also see that sin was always there. And that sin always ate away at us. And we needed something more. Ah, no crucifix in here. Anyways, we needed something more. Okay? It's a nice visual aid sometimes if you can find one. There's a cross in between the K and the C, but on the white it's kind of hard to see. So we needed something more. Okay? And that's why God came among us as man. That's the point of Emmanuel. Okay, that's that's the redemption that Israel longed for, because Israel knew it wasn't living the law. You look at the prophets. Okay, look at Jeremiah, Isaiah. Okay, even after the exile, when they return home, they realize we're not living the law. We're not being a light to the nations. We need something else. And that's when you get in the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah that praying for a new covenant in which the law will be written on our hearts. Sorry for tapping that microphone. That the law will be, hit, will be written on our hearts. Okay, and that's where Jesus comes. A man like us in all things but sin, showing us how to live. Okay, the Christian life is a life lived out. It's not about one moment. It's not about one prayer. Okay, but it's about a life lived out in which we're conformed to him, which we're taught as little children. That's what Jesus asks us to become as little children. That we're taught as little children to take steps, to slowly grow in his ways. And what are his ways? How do we know his ways? How do we know his ways? Did he tell his disciples before he ascended into heaven? Did he say, all right, Peter, James, John, everybody, get around. Come on over here. All right. So what I want you guys to do, okay? He's kind of like in a sandlot football. He's drawing things on the ground, and he says, all right, so what I want you guys to do is I want, okay, uh, Peter, I want you to go up here around Antioch, okay, maybe Alexandria, and then off to Rome. Good? Okay, good. And then uh, Andrew, yeah, I want you to go up here to, uh, to uh, Asia Minor, okay, up here. Uh, eventually, they're going to Build a place called Constantinople there. You won't know him, but anyways. And then you're going to go to uh, uh, India a little bit, along with Thomas. Okay, you're going to go there. Okay, but what I want you guys to do is you're going to write everything down. I want you to write everything down, start making copies. Once you get a bunch of people in Jerusalem making copies, start, you know, hand them out at the bookstores, little pamphlets. If you want to do drawings, that's good. People like drawings. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to send out books, paper everywhere. We're going to write this all down. Everything I said. I know I didn't write anything down, okay? But I'm, we're going to write this all down. And that's how everyone's going to know my teachings. No. No publishing house. No blog, okay? What did Jesus do? He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them everything I have taught you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he sent out men and women. Okay, he sent out a church, a community. From that community came the scriptures. Okay, but they came and they taught first. Everywhere that Paul writes a letter to, except for Rome, is someplace that he's visited. In Rome, he wants to go there badly. Okay, he ends up getting a little luck to get there. But anyways, okay. All these places, okay, that Paul went to, he taught there first. Okay? Colossus, Corinth, 
Galatia, Ephesus, okay, taught there first. Timothy, Titus, Philemon, people he's writing to, he knew them first. Okay? All right. So salvation, our salvation is something, as we can see, lived out. Okay? That, that God has a life, God has a way he created us that we fell from, that he wants us to live. And he knows we can't live that on our own. He gave us the law. He knows that we can't live this on our own. And so he sent Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when you read Luke and Acts, I recommend maybe it might be a good Easter thing, maybe a Lenten thing, if maybe you've failed at giving up chocolate or something like that. But read Luke and then Acts in succession. Okay, because Luke wrote both of them. Okay, Acts is the second volume. And it's funny because it begins... In the first volume, most excellent Theophilus, I told you of the things Jesus began to do. And then Jesus leaves. The things Jesus began to do, and then Jesus leaves. The things Jesus began to do, and then he leaves. Okay? So the book of Acts is, about, is the actions of the disciples, the Acts of the Apostles. Okay? The Twelve and Paul and those who follow them. Okay? But it's the actions of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay, alive in them, going out to that world, teaching them how to live day by day. Okay? And they had a notion that they must persevere from the very earliest time. They must persevere. St. Ignatius of Antioch, a bishop, uh, probably a disciple of St. John, the beloved disciple, uh, a disciple of him, he's Bishop of Antioch. He's on his way to Rome. He writes all these letters as he's going on, on his way to Rome where he's going to be martyred. He's going to be fed to the lions, going to be fed to the savage beasts. And he says, and he's, he writes to all these churches along the way, and he says, send word to Rome that if I start begging, you know, that no, I'll, I'll speak against Jesus. I don't want to die. Don't let them. Because I want to persevere to the end. I don't want to speak out against my faith. I don't want to act against my faith. I want to live that faith of Jesus. So I just encourage you to, to read through some of those challenging scriptures. And when someone talks to you about these things, they make these challenges, have some of these scripture verses in your head. You know, uh, James chapter 2. Uh, the rest of Ephesians chapter 2 as well. You know, where he speaks about that we were made for good works. And that in that you can find an easy response for them. I went a little long. And so, uh, any questions? Any questions others have asked you that you want to know? Any questions about anything? Thank you, thank you Father. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay. The question I, that I have often is, is in the salvation history realm. You have the fall, you have the separation, and you have hundreds, if not thousands of years before the moment of the resurrection. What was the status of souls, the matriarchs, the patriarchs, Noah, David, all the way through the line, St. John the Baptist? What was the status of their soul? When was their judgment prior to the death and, and the rising on the cross? Um, what is the teaching of the church? Were they in purgatory? Is that where Jesus descended when in the Apostles' Creed? 
Uh, Only did... one question at a time. Okay. <laughs> uh, about the patriarchs, uh, the holy men and women of uh, the Jewish faith, uh, Noah, even Adam and Eve are considered among them. Uh, generally, they say that uh, Scripture is not real explicit on it. Uh, and so what, what the church generally taught is that, you know, they were in uh, a place of rest, okay? And in some ways, I think, uh, getting a little hazy on this, Father Michael Carey might get upset, my uh, theological anthropology professor, but uh, might say that in a way they were in a, a type of limbo because they, they, uh, uh, they lived lives as, as the Lord desired them to, Okay, and uh, any of the other of the faithful before then, but yet there wasn't that that divine grace, and so they might be in a, in a perfectly natural happiness, but not in the full joy of heaven. Okay, and it wasn't until and and that's why we talk about the the, the emptying of hell. Okay, there's actually some theological discussion going on due to some uh, theology of Hans Urban von. von on Balthazar, but you guys don't need to know about that. Um, that they were then uh, traditionally, uh, actually, uh, sorry, uh, that as Jesus descended into hell, then at the moment of the resurrection, then he uh, brings, uh, he, 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 he restores uh, Adam and Eve, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Joshua, Okay, uh, David, uh, Solomon, he, he restores them to heaven okay, at that moment. Uh, there's a beautiful, uh, in the patrimony of the church, there's a beautiful ancient homily from the second century of, uh, that's always on Holy Saturday, that's always read by priests, religious on Holy Saturday. Uh, and it's, it's a sermon that's, that, that's given of Jesus talking to Adam, Jesus finding Adam, okay, you know, and saying, you know, I, I, I'm bringing you out from this, you know. Because the, they did suffer death. They did suffer the punishment of sin, okay. But they didn't suffer hell, we wouldn't say. You know, they'd be in absence from God in maybe some degree. But actually, uh, and I don't think I'm qualified enough as a theologian to fully answer that in the way you want. Uh, but... Uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, Pope Benedict, actually addresses it very interestingly in his book, Introduction to Christianity. Uh, if you're ever feeling intellectual, it's a little bit of a tough read. Introduction to Christianity, he wrote it in uh, the late 60s, very good book, uh, collection of his fundamental theology. It's basically a reflection on the Apostles' Creed. And the section on the line, he descended into hell, is very interesting that way, uh, about what it means that Jesus descended into hell. Um, you know, so maybe, and so there's some people that say, well, maybe hell's empty. Maybe, you know, Jesus really emptied hell, hell, you know. And we don't know for sure. You know, and I, uh, uh, if he did, how does that affect us now? You know, I don't know. Uh, what we do know is that for us, we have to live out, you know, we have the words of St. Paul in Scripture. We have the teaching of the church. We have the words of Jesus himself that we live out our salvation in, in fear and trembling, but yet confident you know, always kind of that Christian balance that the world hates. The world always wants to go one way or the other. But of uh, fear and trembling, but yet also confident that uh, God will provide for us. 
uh, in the life of the church that he has given us, the life of the sacraments, the life that Jesus asks us to live. That is how we will be transformed here and our full transformation in heaven and then finally in the resurrection from the dead. So I don't know. You know, I mean, I mean some people might want to talk about that and try and say, oh, but... Uh, you know, maybe Jesus did empty hell, so maybe we shouldn't worry or something like that. There's some people who kind of go the other way on this, that everyone's saved, kind of a universal salvation uh, type of notion. And, uh, but uh, we'd speak out against that too, you know, just from what Scripture tells us. Scripture says there, that there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. The presumption is and that at the resurrection, those, you know, there are sheep and there are goats. Um, yeah, I know I'm kind of a half sheep, half goat at times, the way I act, but I've got confidence that the Lord will bring me to his salvation. But might there be some who have turned against him? Yes, I don't know, but that's the mystery of sin. How did the evil one ever turn against him? But I know I have free will. I have the capacity to choose and to choose against. Is that rambling enough for you? Okay. Writing down a question? No. Oh, okay. She has one right over there in the jacket, the middle. Um, my, I have a couple quick comments and questions. Okay. The one question that I struggle with um, is the good and evil part and sin and doing right and doing following God's law and that we're never going to be perfect enough but it's more like I, what I'm getting from you is it's a growth of faith, and you keep working at it. You, if it's, when, it's when you give up and just go totally the other way. Am I not right? As long as you keep coming back to Christ um, right. and you keep growing in your faith, you're going to know that you're saved in the end. It's a right. process to the end of your life, right? Right. right. That we have, okay. you know, but, but we should live it with confidence. That's why St. Paul says there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm forgetting the exact point where that is. But he says that in the letter to the Romans, uh, there is no condemnation in Jesus, my, Jesus Christ. What is condemnation? Condemnation says to you, you're no good. Okay? You keep getting angry at Father Larry for not doing the dishes. Okay? And you keep on confessing that. Every two weeks you go to confession, and you, know, you keep on saying you get angry at Father Larry for not doing the dishes. And so therefore, you're no good. Okay? You're no good. You're never going to be any better. That's the accuser. That's the evil one. Okay? He wants us to say, you're no good. He wants us to keep, you know, and, then, and that's shame, too. That, that's the shame of sin that says, I want to hold that away, that there's no way I can be any better than what I'm doing, and so I'm just going to keep this from God. I'm going to hide it from God, and then maybe, you know, maybe God won't notice me, and just it's... It's horrible, and I'm no good, so I'm just going to try and sneak over here. Okay? And then there's others who go all the way, and then eventually you'll start to glory in that shame. Okay? That, yeah, I'm no good. Woo! Take this world. Take that God. Yeah, I'm a sinner, and I don't care. I'm going to keep on sinning, because I can't do anything else. You know, we see that on... Anyways, we see both sides of that. Second part? Um, just a comment I was going to make about what you said. Um about when someone comes to, to you, you like as a priest and they want help with something, like they need help with housing, they need help with food. Um, 
I work for Department of Social Services and I'm a secretary and one of the things I really struggled with when I first worked there is how do I help these people without and still do my job correctly but not try to be a caseworker because <laughs> I really struggled with that and I figured out that my job was to get them to the right person that could help them. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I know because I've learned a lot from my position but um, and I think that's where when someone comes to you, you um, someone, if you know the, the resources, you can refer them to because people do take advantage of it also. Mm -hmm. There is a huge amount of fraud. There's um, lying. Um, just, I mean, that's why I don't think you can just give a handout. I think you have to be even like charities that you donate money to or mm -hmm. work for. Uh, is it a legitimate need? Is this it? Where there's in this, there's a real, there has to be a real maturity of the Christian life because there can be kind of an improper, there, there can be an immaturity that says, uh, okay, you know, Jesus says to the, uh, the rich man in Matthew 19, uh, you know, if you want to be saved, you've obeyed the commandments, okay, now take all that you have, sell it and give it to the poor, you know, and that's inspired a lot of great lives in, in the life of faith. St. Anthony, uh, the very first monk, uh, did it, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert uh, began his life of prayer and penance that way, St. Francis of Assisi you know, he started taking his dad things and selling them, he did them a little imprudently but that's where we need to have that maturity of the Christian life and the, an obedience of Christian life that says, okay Lord, where am I right now? Where am I right here and now? Who am I? Okay, I'm Father Andrew Dickinson, I'm the associate pastor at Holy Family, okay, and this person has come to me and you, it's, it's, it's what you said about those resources, knowing your resources, knowing what you have. Okay, and that's the same as knowing your resources in your own wallet. You know, that maybe sometime, and knowing your situation, what is God calling you to do right now? You know, maybe, uh, maybe he put in your heart that morning, you know, you're praying and, and uh, put into your real attentiveness or you were called to a scripture passage about the poor. Or maybe, you know, a week ago on Sunday, there was something about that in the scriptures and you wow, just were really hit by that, and then, you know, boom, someone comes to you that way. Well, maybe that's the time to give them five bucks, you know. Um, so you, you can't just go and irrationally, because the same Lord who wrote the scriptures is the same Lord who wrote our reason. Uh, you can't just go and uh, irrationally fly off the handle, you know, especially, you know, if uh, uh, Travis is a, a husband and a father, and he can't just go and give up all he has like St. Francis and uh, strip down naked and give his clothes uh, to his dad and say, here, even these are yours, now I've got all that's mine, and walk out and say, I'm going to go you know, live a life giving to the poor. Well, no, because he made a vow to uh, love his wife and be open and receptive to children. So, no, you can't do that. Uh, that God wouldn't call Travis to do that in the midst of that marriage bond. Okay. Good point, though. Anything else? No. Okay. Well, this is a little bit off topic, I guess, as well. But um, I'm a teacher in a public school, and I eat lunch with a lot of uh, Protestant teachers as well. And about once every two weeks or so, they throw a question at me, you know, about the Catholic faith. And it just happened today where one of uh, my fellow teachers said that they went to a funeral and they were really upset about 
not being allowed to go up to receive communion. And I answered it the best that I could, but yet I still feel, I, I, I'm looking for an answer that I can give that will satisfy them and make them feel, you know, like an opportunity to maybe come check out the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. but yet not okay. alienate them. Yeah. Um, well, the truth is always pastoral. Okay, the truth is always right. We just have to learn how to say the truth at this moment. Okay, we can use the truth like a two-by-four, okay, and smack someone upside the head with that, and it's probably not going to do them a lot of good. But if we try to use the truth as honey and get them to understand and desire for something, then it's good. Okay, and so it, it, it's good that you should, you should feel that tension. It's good that you should feel that wondering, okay, am I going to be able to explain to them, make them want to come and check it out more, and yet not drive them away. So it's good to feel that tension. Okay, that's okay. Um, first thing, you know, I, just encouragement for all of you on the issue of Mass and Communion, you know, uh, we read the, uh, I know the OCP hymnals have them, Oregon Catholic Press hymnals, it's a couple of them do, but the, the guidelines for Catholics to receive Communion. And one of the things in there is that, you know, a Catholic who hasn't been to confession in a while or maybe in knowledge of what might be a serious sin shouldn't go to communion. And whenever I have a, a funeral mass or a wedding mass, when it's time for communion, I always say, you know, it's time for communion. Those Catholics who uh, are prepared to come to communion uh, can come forward. Those Catholics who aren't prepared or anyone with us who isn't Catholic, uh, you know, according to the uh, common practice, I say uh, th those who are not prepared to those who aren't Catholic, please come forward for a prayer of blessing, you know. Um, and I think that's a good first step to, to, so that they can say, you mean some of you Catholic may not want to go? And it, hopefully it might, and oftentimes it's a little enlightening for some of the Catholics, oh, there might be a reason I might not want to go? Oh, okay. I mean, when I yelled at my wife this morning and said she was horrible and the worst thing ever, maybe I should not go to communion until I go to confession for that? Oh, you know, um, yeah, okay. So, so, so why? You know, I mean, uh, St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians uh, around chapter 11 or 12, at the top of my head, you know, he says, he talks about this very thing, about uh, from the Catholic side of things, Okay, those who are unworthy to come to communion, who are fighting or doing things like that, uh, shouldn't come. Because if you receive the body and the blood of the Lord unworthily, okay, you are... I won't actually read this to you. Because it's, it's very good. Because in a way it's saying, well, we do this to you. We, you know, we, we say this to you because we do this for, for your good. Because we believe this is serious. We believe this is a beautiful and a serious part of our faith. And uh, the faith of Jesus... And, um, and it's, it's beautiful, it's good, it's awesome that he is really present with us. But yet, you know, St. Paul says in the first letter of Corinthians, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. I don't want you to do that, Ted, wherever the guy or gal is. I don't want you to do that. You know, my priest doesn't want you to do that. You know, 
We want you to be in communion with us. Yeah, we want you to be in communion with our Lord. Because first and foremost, Catholic communion is not a sign of our communion that, hey, we're all brother Christians, we're all brother, sister Christians. I'm baptized, you're baptized. Hey, let's go to communion. Um, first and foremost, it's a sign of our union with God. It's, it's an effective sign. Okay, It's a stop sign that makes us stop, that you can't run through. Okay, The sacrament unites us with God. Okay, And then from that unity with God, if I'm united with God and you're united with God, then we're united together. Okay, that's where that, that unity of the, body of, uh, of the members of the body of Christ comes. Does that some sense? Okay, but it's okay to struggle with that. And the first and primary thing, a little thing to remember when interacting with anyone, whether fallen away Catholic, whether Protestant, whether uh, lukewarm Catholic, is win, build, send. Win, build, send. Okay, that for, and this is the pattern of Jesus. This is hopefully is the pattern of what he's working our own faith life, that we must be one. Okay, first Jesus, our hearts must be one. Okay, you can't just beat us in the head with a two by four. We have to want this, you know. Uh, Philip says in the Gospel of John, beginning Jasper John, uh, Master, where do you live? Come and see. You know, in the calling of the disciples in the gospel, uh, chapter three of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, he calls them to be with him and then to learn from him and then to be sent out. We see that always as Jesus works. And we see that in our own lives, hopefully, that our hearts at some moment were won over. We must try to do that with others. And then we can build them. And so it's another little paradigm, maybe. How's our tape? You okay? okay. Travis? Oh. Over here. One of those people that um, are not worthy to receive communion when they go up to you, um, how do you do a blessing on them? Well, I, or how do I you, don't know them unless they signify that themselves. I don't know how they do that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people do a blessing a little, you know, may Almighty God bless you. But I, I've kind of gotten into a habit that if you look at the instructions for communion, this is my own personal thing. I don't want to enforce anyone else, other people to other things. And there's real no clear directive on what you should do as a priest in this way or as an extraordinary uh, Eucharistic minister. But if you look at the guidelines for communion, what it encourages those people to do is to make a prayer of communion, you know, just as we should do if we are uh, away from Mass. And I've been carrying this card in my pocket, in my wallet for a while. Um, if I can get it out of my wallet. There we go. It's because it's been in there a while but that we should make a prayer of communion, asking Jesus to dwell within us. Because communion, for those who do receive it, is more than a blessing. Yes or yes? Yes. Right, right. It's a presence, it's, it's a presence, it's the very presence of the living God within you, the life, blood, uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity, okay, of Jesus Christ living within us. It's more than a blessing, okay? You know, uh, this little... Uh, you know, spiritual communion prayer. My Jesus, I believe that thou art present, the most holy sacrament. I love thee above all things. I desire to receive thee into my heart. Since I cannot now receive thee in the blessed sacrament, I beg of thee, come thou spiritually into my heart. Come and still my desire, O Jesus. Come and sanctify my soul. Okay? You know, it recommends, you know, that, that's an example of a prayer of communion, spiritual communion. So what I prefer to do when someone comes up and, you know, they place their arms on their chest or however it's indicated in that parish, you know, I, I just kind of set my hand on their shoulder and I said, 
Pray with me that the love of Jesus will live in your heart. It's a prayer of communion, okay? This is what happened you know, in, in a watered down sense. You know, you have to say you can't, you know, pray this long prayer with them probably most communion lines. You know, you get people in the back going, come on, Father, what's going on, you know? Uh, you know, but just to say, pray with me. that, the, and, and I'll look at them and I'll say, pray with me that the love of Jesus will live in your heart. Okay, because hopefully that's what we're opening our hearts to in communion, that we're allowing that transformative real love, not mushy, chewy chocolate chip love, but, you know, real crucifix love. Okay, and so, you know, but, but a lot of times I'll say, you know, well, well you know, may, may, may God bless you, may Jesus bless you, some things like that. But that's just a preference I have. Is that... Cards available to hand to a non-Catholic person. Well, at, I mean, at a time of you know, I mean, a, a lot of hymnals have that instruction in it, you know. And uh, I know uh, when I was ordained, uh, a lot of my family's Methodist, and so I asked that we put that on the back of the program because uh, they wouldn't make an announcement. But I asked that they put that in the back of the program, and. Uh, and I know at uh, my own dad's funeral, uh, I, I, I gave that announcement. I said, you know, and I, I forgot to do it at my first mass, but I did it at my dad's funeral. I said, you know, those who aren't Catholic come forward to receive a blessing. You know, and some of my Protestant aunts and uncles who had always kind of struggled with that and kind of thought they should still go to communion anyways, you know, were really moved by that. And they said, oh, well, you know that? Okay, you're not just kicking me out because I'm, not Catholics, some of you Catholics may not go. So, you know, and there's no set prayer. There's no set prayer to be done for that because there's nothing in the liturgy itself, as far as I'm aware, I could be wrong, in the instruction on the liturgy, in the missal, in the general instruction of the missal, there's nothing that says an exact prayer to be said for someone who's not Catholic or not ready to receive communion to be said, okay? It suggests that they make a private prayer of communion on their own. Okay, and so I just try to do something like that for them. And anyone who's a Eucharist minister, you could do that instead of, you know, doing a blessing uh, like that if you wanted to try that, you know. Just, and I just kind of gone simply, you know, pray with me that the love of Jesus would live in your heart. You know, or little kids, I'll say, I pray that the love of Jesus will live in your heart. So... I have another vacuous answer. <laughs> What um, this 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 prayer of communion that if you are not able to receive communion, mm -hmm. um, can that be used if you are not able to attend mass, like on a Sunday? In fact, on Kelland TV uh, channel eleven out in Mitchell with Father Michael Griffin from Christ the King Parish here in Sioux Falls, when they have time when the people receive the communion, they scroll a prayer of communion on the TV screen. Someone is traveling and they, well, they choose not to go. They don't Doesn't make the count. effort to go. Doesn't count. I'm sorry? Doesn't count. Even if you said that prayer. Yep. yep. I mean, what, how, do, what do you, how do you answer someone that you know is Catholic, that generally are, are pretty good practicing the faith, but mm -hmm. then when it comes to holy days, they're like, well, sometimes you're going to miss Mass. 
Yeah. Well, uh, what do you say to that? I mean, I, I you can't beat him in the head with a two by four and say, you know, the church says we have to go to mass every Sunday. It's a mortal sin. It is a mortal sin, but usually when they're in that condition, in some way their heart's been lost from the mass. Okay, their desire to go to Sunday mass to make it a priority in their life to go to Sunday mass to go to the holy days has been lost in their heart. So you have to find some way to win their heart on that, while always encouraging them with, you know, the true teaching on that. That. You know, well, you know, our, you know, the Ten Commandments say to keep holy the Sabbath day. And the way we do that as Christians, we honor the Lord's resurrection, which is, you know, now the, the fullness of God's action on earth. There's no greater thing God can do than his death and resurrection. And we celebrate that every Sunday at the Mass with the Christian community. You know, and heck, you know, heck, find a... Find another mess. Maybe you're sick of your pastor and you're on vacation. Great! Take a vacation from hearing my homilies. You know? There, there, there's plenty of resources. www.masstimes.org What if they won't go to any other parish but this parish? Well, then there needs to be... Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what to say because yeah. every time I hear another reason, well, we, we paid for this and we're not going to skip that, so we're going to do that. But, you know, then... But I also always think, well... There is mass, like on a holy day, you can go on the one day or the other day. And it's just like, I think that it can be worked out. I mean, I know my parents always worked it out. When, it can. And, and, you know, and a lot of people... They would take turns. They'd figure it out. When and people walk six hours in Africa to go to a mass, or six hours in Africa to go to confession, you know, I, I, I have a hard time uh, listening to someone complain about, well, I'd have to... I was, you know, I was out camping, and we'd have to drive 30 miles to come into Mass, so we didn't, you know. And we'd be stinky from the fire. I don't care if you're stinky from the fire. I don't care if, you're, if your kid went to the bathroom and you don't have more clean diapers. I don't care. You know, come to, you know, that's life. Every once in a while, life throws a curveball at you. And if I can't deal with that, and if the people in the pew next to you can't deal with that, tough cookies. But, you know, I mean, with something like that, it sounds like there's probably something else. You know, I, I don't think it's... You know, I, I, it's probably not ignorance. You know, it's probably, it's, it's, a lot of times it's something else. There's some other reason. I think that, you know, the first thing is just to keep praying for someone like that, you know. I don't think that this person grew up going to church on holidays and all those, those things. It's mm -hmm. probably easier to not. And then um, if one of them's a convert and one is not, and one is a Catholic, mm -hmm. it could be different with that too. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there could be a lot of things at play. And... You know, you just, all we can do is just keep giving witness to, to, to what God desires and hope, you know, that they can uh, try to realize this on their own and move towards it on their own. You know, I, I, to, pray, to pray that God in his love would put them in a place to see what they need to do to respond to his love. And what's well, interesting is that... Okay. Here, all right. Uh, can we see if there's another question, maybe? Because okay. this is just kind of... Is there any other questions? Okay, why don't we just end with a prayer? We can kind of talk about some of this other stuff afterwards. And so, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord and Master of my life, we ask that you would be present in our hearts in this Lenten season, that you would purify us of all desires that are not from you, that we may desire to live our lives as you image it for us, not dull, not boring, but alive with the Holy Spirit, alive with your goodness, the goodness of following your law, the joy 
of being your sons and daughters, that we may celebrate with joy at the great feast of the resurrection. We ask all this as we pray together. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.